Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. So, what did you go? We start here. We start. We begin again. Welcome to the podcast. Cheers. Cheers. Father John here, back in Denver, with my old friends. Eight years, eight solid, consistent years of technological <laughs> failure, fail blog is uh, upon us. It's like amazing, because I didn't know there was so many possible variations of ways to suck at uh, trying to record something on GarageBand, but we figured it out, and we continue to discover new ways. Yeah. It's amazing, you know? And I guarantee you, halfway through this podcast, you and I are going to have to remove our headphones. <laughs> the delay. That's okay. Yeah. Goble, Goble's just chilling, so he didn't Goble's even have headphones. The, the uh, Cardinals <laughs> yeah, right. game is on right now. You called it. He was actually Give looking at phone. that right when you said yeah. it. Give me that no. phone. No. no. You, I'm just going to look whenever, every once in a while. This is going to be bad. So, Well, I'm home, and uh, so for those of you who are on Facebook or on Instagram and have seen, um, we had some sad news in the Nepple family uh, two weeks ago. My dad had a major stroke, and uh, it happened during the night. Um, and so it was a number of hours before um, he woke up. Thanks be to God, he woke up and uh, then called 911. And um, so he was paralyzed, is paralyzed on the left side of his body, but is making uh, pretty remarkable strides as he comes back. And so um, I came home right away, and I'm going to be home uh, through the summer. Father Mike is still in Rome uh, finishing up the semester. I didn't have any classes, so I just kind of continued with the uh, dissertation work here. So anyways... Uh, that's the story for uh, why I am now in Denver and why we didn't have a podcast, uh, a new podcast out the last two weeks. So great to be home. Not the best circumstances, but um, grateful to be with the brothers and uh, really grateful for huge outpouring of prayers. I mean, you know, on the, the Facebook yep. and on the Instagram, I mean, it was just like a lot, a lot of people yeah. uh, praying for my dad and the prayers are working. His uh, health is is really pretty remarkable. Um, so, yeah, so... Yeah, we got, we got, I think we're up to 14, almost 15,000 likes or followers on Facebook. Well, that's crazy. And so when we, uh, when we put out the, just that first picture of you and your dad, I think at his ordination to the diaconate. Right. It just, man, powerful. Yeah, 63-year-old, he did a CrossFit workout three hours before uh, he had a stroke, so he was in great health. The trainer came in and I said, what the hell kind of workout did you put him through that night? <laughs> he was like, I swear it was normal, so... CrossFit is uh, maybe dangerous for your health, but so can you explain that? Like, what was the what was the issue with him? Like, it was good thing he woke up. Like, how does the well the stroke was happening? So so the block happened, the clot happened in his in the artery here, okay. going up to the uh, Andrew's going to listen to this and be like, oh, "You suck at medicine." <laughs> we should have had her on. <laughs> I know. Um, so it just slowly starts to block the okay. blood flow to the brain, and it starts to kind of swell, and there's just a kind of a mass and a clot, and so, you know, he could have died, but that's why the stroke, it's the timing thing, really, because the body just continues to kind of I shut see. down, and the damage of the brain gets worse with, with all the time, and okay. so he was out for like four hours. Oh, wow. And he woke up and okay. went to grab my mom, and our family has some sleepwalking history and sleep kind of movement, as both of you know. And so she turned and punched him. She punched him back. <laughs> and that was her first. And then she realized, oh, wait a second, he's, uh, he's not okay. And, uh, and then ambulance came in and got him. Wow. So he's alive, you know, he's alive. So. And how's your mom? That's like traumatic. Yeah, she's, uh, she's doing pretty well. She's a pretty amazingly positive um, woman. And, uh, yeah, it's just we've kind of pull, it's pulled the family together really tight. And everybody's pretty solid in terms of spiritual life. So we just kind of pray and kind of work through it and it comes and goes you know it's still pretty shocking still pretty early but it's uh yeah it's just it's a it's crazy how quickly life changes you know and uh for all of us i mean you know you guys have had different family stuff recently with health and everybody's listening to this you're experiencing this in some way but i just it was a bit of a wake-up call for me uh so to just say you know you can't just take it for granted even though if your dad's in great health and uh, everything looks good you know that's what everybody said to me when they were like, oh, did you hear about Deacon Daryl? And I said, yeah. And the, the first thing they always said was he was so healthy. Right. You know? And my dad got the same thing when he had his triple bypass, when he has a heart attack. Right. That like he, he looks, I mean, he's, got, he's thinner than I am, got more hair than I am. And, and yet it was, we found out it was later, so the, is the Agent Orange from Vietnam right, that was right. doing it. But still, yeah. Yeah. Be yeah, healthy so, anyway. But <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy as our parents get older, and, uh, and we do as well. You just realize, you know, 
human life is very fragile and, and you just, you never know. So yeah, again, grateful he's alive. Um, he's very interesting because he's like, um, he's very concerned about doing the diaconate thing. He's a deacon and he retired two weeks before this happened. So it was just like kind of crazy timing, but, uh, we're working on getting him back. And so I say mass every day at the uh, room, which is quite an experience. Like, um, just like my daily mass crowd is my mom and my dad usually. You know, That's beautiful. For the last two weeks, every every night at five o'clock, or depending when Mary Nepple comes back from shop <laughs> shopping, whatever she's doing, five twenty today. She can she knows mass is going to wait because you know I she gave birth to the priest, so she was shopping for Goebbels Rectory, right? That's probably right. Doubtful. That's a whole other topic. Yeah. Doubtful. The uh, yeah. You're lucky you didn't have a stroke picking out countertops and all that. I stuff. almost had uh, something. Yeah, but my mom is so funny though. Like uh, my dad is, uh, his memory is pretty good from the past, but his attention is is not there. So he's kind of all over the place. And my mom is like super ADD already. So it's just like it's just an ADD fest every mass. And but my favorite thing is my mom is like a thir- for thirty years was a kindergarten teacher, and I've actually never heard her read at mass before. But she reads like a kindergarten teacher, and it's so awesome. So, like two days ago, and she reads like she's going to show you the picture afterwards. You know, so so like I think it was like three days ago in the readings, she's like, and then the Jews stoned Stephen, and they laid their cloaks at the foot of a man named Saul, and then I'm just waiting for her to show us. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, oh, this is just so good. So. So it's funny having a, it's like being read to, and it's like story time every day during mass. So we had, we had a creepy moment. I was doing a mass. I was on vacation with the Soladinis, and we were saying mass. It was just like this madhouse of children running around this little rental home we were in. And then like halfway through the mass, I think it was like during the mass parts, and all of a sudden, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Alexa. Oh. No, <laughs> Alexa pops in as like. I don't think that's correct. Like, and her voice just comes like in the middle of the mass, and almost like stop. Oh, and yeah. I must have said something in the mass parts or my homily that it just like sounded like Alexa. But anyway, with this vocation home, we knew she was there, but we forgot to turn her off. Like before we did oh mass. Alexa, Alexa, like actual this, this vacation yeah. home had a had Alexa from the little uh, go- what is it, Alexa Google. Amazon. Amazon. So, like, yeah, like had Alexa. And so, anyway, they were during the mass. We forgot to turn her off. That's so, hilarious. something in the mass sounded like Alexa. So, she popped on and then listened to whatever I was saying. And she, like, disagreed with it, like, verbally. Uh, full and, and active participation yeah, from the laity. That's typical. And She's robots. From California. Yeah. Yeah. No biggie. Actually, that's just so everybody knows who's listening. My mom's first instinct when my dad was having the stroke was she picked up her phone and goes, Siri, call 911. Siri does not call nine one one. So just so you know, really, that, yeah. So. Are you sure about that? Well, it didn't work this time. So well, have you we're, tried? We're it? not going to test it, right? Yeah. Now. <laughs> oh, I, I read a story of a guy who was trapped underneath his car, and he was able to call nine one one using Siri. Oh well, there you go. So there you go. Our Siri is obviously disobedient. So yeah. Oh, we're getting the slow in the. Uh, I started slipping headphones. Yeah, I knew it. Which time to slow it down? Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. This is the most depressing um, banter ever. Hang but, on, hang on, hang on. Can you please tell the story of Jackson uh, giving the kerygma? Mm. Like at so, uh, Katie just had her third child. Yeah. So the day after my dad had a stroke, my sister had her third son. Yeah. Please, Caleb. if you if you are friends with Katie Nepple, Katie Lynch on. Uh, Instagram or follow her. What's the name of her business? Later, we'll get to it. The business, Kate and Grace. Yeah, it, but like, are you going to get to the fact that she had like prom hair after she? Oh yeah, yeah, it was ridiculous. Katie sent this photo out of of. So it was the backstory behind all of this is it was a bit of a chaotic Wednesday, um, and I'm in Rome. And we're trying to figure out what to do. My brother's flying back from the East Coast. Katie is one day away from... She's already a week overdue. And who shows up at Monsignor Ken Leone, the legend (laughs) of Denver, for the anointing? And he lays hands on my sister, and he prays over her, and he's like, we want this baby to come now! And sure enough, boom, she had a three-hour labor. And uh, so the baby came, and Katie's put this photo out holding the child, and it looked like... Prom hair. Yeah, it was, like, ridiculous. I was like, did you curl your hair before? So... But it yep. was uh, no epidural, and she still looked like that. So they didn't get it in in time. It was crazy. So we have Caleb, and then um, 
And then what were you asking me? Jackson. Jackson and Mike. So we said mass that weekend for my family. (laughs) And these little guys are so funny. So my my nephews are uh, four and two and a half. And then Caleb is like two weeks old. And uh, their other grandma, not my mom, made them a mass kit. I don't know if your kid's... Nice. I mean, it's more involved for Byzantine children. Yeah, we, we had to make... I got a funny story about that, but I'll let you go. Yeah. So, Do you have like a Fisher-Price Rapidia? <laughs> <laughs> actually, I'll show you. We, we have Catechesis of the Good Shepherd down at Sophia, and they, they actually, for the Rapidia, they used like those little round doilies that old ladies put under cups, and they like painted them gold and put them back to back and just painted angels on them, so they look like the fans nice. like on the back of the altar. I nice. thought they just used like fly swatters or something. So I'm not exactly sure what you want me to share. We we had the mass charisma. and the guys where had, he where he like get did Jackson the, yeah. So yes. we had, we had this whole procession at mass. It was it was over the top. It was so funny. So the four year old grabs the cross and he's leading the procession. He just walks into the dining room. Get behind me. Mike is behind him. I like give him an icon. It looked very Eastern actually. I was just like just hold this and process with this icon. So they're walking in and. Uh, Jackson just like says this crazy charismatic statement. It was like a collection of like phrases that he had heard in mass and kind of put them all together. It was like the I can't even imitate it. It was so wild. But he just starts like yelling and, and then he's and then he goes into this like um like nutcracker kind of like drum roll thing like and Micah just Middle child just kind of goes along, <laughs> dun, 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 dun. and then they start to sing the Alleluia, and they're, we're just like processing around the dining room table. And I'm like, "How long?" Are we? You know, but they just keep singing and singing, and I was like, "This is crazy." And then we start mass. Was he like, like Jesus Christ risen from the grave? Yeah, he will never die. He loves everyone. Yeah, he's just holding the cross, <laughs> and then it's just like I just imagine him like, from death he has returned, Jesus forever lives he lives for you and it's just like he goes on this thing for like three minutes and he's like he is not dead he is alive he is alive dun 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 and i'm just like crying and we're trying to do mass it was just completely completely ridiculous so anyways my little brother joseph we grew up with a pastor that had a nervous disorder so he had uh he had braces on his legs, braces on his back, braces on his arms, braces in his mouth, all this stuff to kind of hold him together. He's like robo-priest. But, he, uh, but my brother Joseph one time had set up with my sister a little divine liturgy in his room. He was probably like six or seven years old. And so we walk in there, and we see the door cracked open. So we go in there, and Teresa, both of them are wearing blankets you know, over their shoulders. He's like, mm-hmm. my brother's a priest. She's the deacon. But we look, and like everything's as it would be, but Joseph has my rollerblading wrist guards on his hands because he would see Father Chris's braces. And he thought that was part of being a priest, was wearing these braces on your hands. So he found my rollerblading wrist guards and like, well, this is what a priest wears. It was, we, we were just laughing and going, guards. oh, the, the innocence of that, you know. We had, the, during the distribution of communion, There's these guys are, they're learning their rubrics real well. So they're body of Christ, body of Christ, body of Christ. And they go to their non-Catholic grandfather, body of Christ, and he goes, thank you. And they go, the response is amen. And he stands there with the body of Christ, body of Christ. The response is amen. I, like, I actually saw that stuff? in Turkey. We were in Istanbul at a mass, and there was this Irish priest. And uh, no, I th- he wasn't Irish. I forget what he was. But anyway, there was this group of Irish kids, and they all had some sort of mental issue. They were like on a pilgrimage, but they had some sort of mental issue. And he, one of the girls didn't say amen. And he went through like the seven questions to, to make sure she was Catholic right there in front of her. And after, I, I can, she answered them all correctly. He gave her the Eucharist, but I thought, and he afterwards, he said, you know, just in Turkey, you have to make yeah, sure people are legitimately Catholic. That's crazy. Well, we, uh, speaking of kids, my uh, dad got a bunch of letters from the kids at Our Lady of Lourdes, where he's the deacon. <laughs> and uh, I pulled one out that was my favorite, and I put it on the wall, because most of them are like, dear deacon, Daryl, and that's a difficult, there's a lot of different spellings of Daryl, so it's like, and then it's like, we are very sad you're in the hospital. We miss you. Come home soon. We're praying sincerely, you know, Jimmy or whatever. And this one kid, I open it up, and it's so funny, second grader. And it's like, dear deacon, do not lose your faith. God is with you. He will provide. You will get through this. It's like so intense. And he's just like, you will make it through. Plus, we miss you because 
during mass, we love your sweet vibes. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Who is no, this kid? Sweet vibes Sincerely, at the end of Sincerely, Mike Rapp. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, right. my dad's theory is uh, embrace the suck. That's, that's what he's calling his... Uh, because he's gotten really funny. That's an army did. thing, right? Was he I army or what was he? He's army. Yeah, is that okay. an army thing? My yeah. army friend says embrace the suck. Yeah, yeah, that must be because he keeps saying that embrace the suck, embrace the suck. I was like, that sounds like dissertation work as well. But he's doing well. Thanks for the prayers. Everything is uh, is coming along. And uh, it's great to be home. Really, really grateful to be home with you great guys. Great to have you back. Just had a pot belly sandwich. Didn't know what that was before mm-hmm. three hours ago. Father Nathan, his love language the way he gives love is by knowing the food that you like. And the way he receives love is eating the food that he likes. Something like that. Yeah. Yep. Something like that. That's pretty so. much it. Well, he's giving me that blank, dumb stare. I'm just shocked that you are you're time. like all he set his watch. He started his watch about five minutes into the banter, and then he just kept going. So I just thought, you know, just let it ride. I start the watch at the beginning to know how, how we're doing. Mike hates that. Yeah, he does. Uh, I can yeah. hear it on the podcast. Blink. Blink. Well, guess what? You know what happens when you don't set the watch? You go over an hour. You we know what did. happens when you go over an hour? You get made fun of by you guys. So it's we not went, worth how it. How long did we go at the Fort Collins thing? Uh, that was two podcasts. We were hour 10, I think, for the regular podcast. and then that was. I was waiting for some kind of glowing introduction like you gave Mike. That was ridiculous. This is the world's greatest scholar. <laughs> he was embarrassed slash loving it. Yeah. So. Well, it, it was funny because we were sitting at the, uh, at the, um, man, what was it called? <laughs> I'm a priest. <laughs> no, 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 no. The, uh, the museum. Oh, yeah. Dead Sea Scrolls. At the oh, Dead Sea yeah. And I'm like, this guy knows more than everybody here combined. And here he is just like, you know, wandering around like the rest of us. It was just, it was hilarious. He did not me? like my, he did not like my geek comment. Mm-mm. He got really defensive, and I was like, Mike, come on, dude. That was funny. That was funny. Come on, man. Yeah, he liked it about as much as the comment I made about you. When you were talking about comic books, and I was like, oh, I play sports. You remember that? No. <laughs> you, don't remember, you do remember that. Yeah, yeah you do. Yeah, I do remember that. Uh, he said so something. Funny, he was dude. like, yeah, you know, like with the green, who's the green? Green Lantern. Green Lantern. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I played sports in high school. And he was like... <laughs> He looked. Yeah. He looked at me with his eyes. He's like, "I'm gonna kill you." Freaking Zach Powers. I am the Green Lantern. Yep. So, anyways, I uh, the podcast today. The topic is uh, not exactly well researched. There's been kind of a busy uh, couple weeks, but this is one of those topics where I actually want to like take you two and put you in mm-hmm. my place a month ago and hear what you would say. Right. So this is three questions. That happened to me from college kids on the yes. road to Monte Cassino. Wow. From Subiaco to Monte Cassino in the bus with my college kids. Three questions that came up. And uh, I have, the, do you know the Amos Lee song, El Camino? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that song. That's the song I have playing in my head as we're Monte Cassino. Just sub that in for El Camino. Yeah, so we were driving. Uh, we did kind of a St. Benedict Day about a month ago with the Bernardi kids. They're winding down. They're leaving in a few days, so they're traveling all over Europe, getting the last trips in. I think two of them actually listen to the podcast. Uh, maybe one. Lisa, it's one of these Polish names. Czechowski, Gronkowskiewicz, <laughs> something like that. Gronkowskiewicz. But she's amazing, and uh, she's, I think, the only one who listens. So anyways, Lisa was there, and uh, oh, I think they all went to, a, some of them went to Ibiza that weekend. Do you know what? Do you oh, listen yeah, to yeah. music? Dance yeah. party. Yeah. EDM. Yeah. Like, you're either at Monte Cassino or Ibiza. That sums up our crew. So. That's like Italian Coachella. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, it was supposedly off-season and everything was cool. Yeah. Ibiza, Ibiza for the Spaniards. So. All right. Here We're we driving go. to Monte Cassino. Three questions. First question that comes up. Marijuana. Okay. Now, here's what they say. This is what's interesting. They're like, how do you go about this when people... You, the argument from temperance, the argument from... Just the typical moral presentation. They're like, it's not working with our friends. What's your, how do you go about it? What's, what, you know, because this is becoming so prominent. And uh, so I had my approach on it, but I want to hear what you guys say. We've already done a podcast on that. We did that like five years ago. It's still the same answer. Okay. So that's your answer. 
Which I mean, I had, to, I had to actually listen to that. I did right. not inhale as opposed to some. <laughs> <laughs> well, you think you're pretty awesome because you still have a short-term Party memory. Time. Party time. Party time. <laughs> actually, you know, um, that's interesting because I want to do a podcast as well on marijuana because I have a little quandary going on, but I can't talk about it right now. But I asked Nick Blaha, priest of God, and he had an interesting response, which was uh, alcohol, tobacco, and... Alcohol, tobacco, and... Gambling. Gambling. Talking about the catechism? No, he was saying, like, alcohol and tobacco both have cultural expressions. Okay. You have you have the ability you have the ability to have a social experience with these realities, and it's been honed over time. Yep. We actually we actually have tradition, like centuries of tradition, of people gathering around these substances without it being the dominant kind of theme. Right. So, see this. Is exactly what I'm talking about. And right. This is which the direction I was, which I thought was an interesting take on what you had said before, which was it's just about your own subjective experience. And that was basically the argument I gave them, which was when tobacco, because the, the whole the, to give the backstory. If you haven't heard the podcast we did from five years ago, I can't li- I can't listen to these anymore. These are I the can't echo. listen. I can't to listen these to anymore. Echo in this. No. Um. So five years ago we did this podcast on on and it's basically just like. The, the virtue of moderation has to, you know, control substances moderated. If it's not possible, THC levels have quadrupled. They're up to like tw- the average is like ten to twelve percent. I heard somebody tell me recently they were like fifty percent THC, the psychotropic, in some of these edibles. So this is like crazy, crazy tripping now. Um, but the question of can abuse in moderation is people just go back and forth. I don't think it can be. That's my personal opinion. Um, but what I like about this, the Blaha approach, which is what I was trying to do with these guys, was to say, when I have a drink or when I have a cigar, it actually leads me into communion with others. And marijuana never does that. And I will absolutely stand my ground on that. People will say all this stuff about moderation and everything. I'm going to say, no way. It does not lead to an experience of communion because you just you kind of lose yourself in this kind of in your own subjectivity in the in the trip and that's that's a really really different thing even if it can't be used in moderation it never actually leads to an experience of of communion in a deeper way so you must have mentioned that over christmas break or something like that because i i have a a couple stoner friends acquaintances that i brought this up with and i said hey in other words is it alcohol does lead I've had this experience used in moderation it does lead to a desire for communion and in you know up to a certain point a, a desire um, against isolation an aversion to isolation um, and so I said to him is, is marijuana like that and I, he says oh he says no I like I don't mind smoking with my best friends but I'm very picky about who that is and I said well what does that look like when you're smoking marijuana with your friends are you talking he's like no like we're we're in the same room we're not communing but no. we're like in other words he's saying with most people I would like I'd rather be alone with marijuana it's an escape that I can experience but it's only that it's an escape it's it's not in any way contributing to the community. And I, and I think that's what... So you, you had mentioned that earlier, John. Right. And I was bringing that up. And I, I think that was, that was the point. My point, I tend to be like this, uh, probably like, um, you know, uh, man, my brain is not working today. Whoa, uh, why? <laughs> party time. Party Some gummies, time. man. Yeah. Party time. What is it... Um, <laughs> Man alive! Well, well, rap has the tattoo. I don't know if we should say it on there, but yeah. What what is it? Uh, ca- Don Quixote. Don Quixote. So so Don Quixote. <laughs> Man. All right, go All right, knock so, it off. Yeah, Just watch exactly. the Cubs game. <laughs> the adults um, are going to do a podcast now. Can you so just- so Don Quixote, like this 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 over the top desire for like chivalry and you know kind of being a knight and and, and being heroic. I have this desire to do i mean like not a desire but like i need to always be ready to be a priest and so anything that is going to in any way incapacitate me to be myself in that moment right. so my argument for people to bring it up you know i try these other ones but it's usually 
In other words, if you were called in that moment, take it to the extreme. If the second coming of Christ happened, would you be ready to encounter him? If, if there was an emergency and you had to pull a baby out of a burning building, you know, would you be ready for that? And if not, you would be incredibly regretful to say, yeah, I couldn't. I yeah. was stoned, you know? Yeah. And so th- in my mind, that's enough for me to keep me from doing it. But I, I, I think of other people, if they need the escape, it's not enough for them. And I, I totally get the that. same thing about alcohol? Yeah, exactly. But, but after, after a beer and a shot like I'm drinking now, I'll be ready to bring I, a cat out of a burning building. In fact, I think you'll be more ready. <laughs> He's going to be ready, ready, as Goebel would say. <laughs> ready, ready. No, I, uh, I, yeah, I like that. It's just a sense of like reality. Right? Can you handle reality if it comes? And if exactly. It comes in a very, yep. you know. Yep. Most people don't care, though. Right. And w- one of the things that I like about uh, that's happening with the the reality of marijuana becoming so prominent is it's forcing us as Catholics to ask. It's like we have to ask the questions again, which is yeah. okay. Why do we why do we use substances? I know tobacco, which is like the the last sin in the world. That not recycling, alcohol especially. Why why do we do it? And I think this this argument from the social. Um, <clears throat> experience or from communion is is i th- i think it's very it's in, it's intelligible because virtue is what lends us towards towards um communion right it's not just like we don't just like get together and just like oh it's just so great it's 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 virtuous acts mm-hmm. but these somehow lend and kind of work within that and like you're saying and or blaha saying or i've been saying for 6 months but he can only hear it from nick blaha this has been tested for what I was it, ten thousand BC or whatever? The Egyptians figured out how to make beer. I mean, we're talking about right. you know ten thousand years of this, and um, but but it, it's good for us to as Catholics to just reflect and say, well, why do we why do we do why are we having scotch? People who right. listen to this, some people listen and they don't like that we're drinking. Some people do. Why why is that resonating? Like it's the question again. You know, Nick, Nick was saying like the closest approximation that we have like to marijuana. Culturally, is probably like the opium dens. Yeah. Where you would just go into an opium den and then not emerge for like three days. Right. And instead, like what people do is they just smoke a ton of weed and they don't come out until, I don't know, a day later. I don't know how long. I mean, if you have enough, you can just, you can just keep it rolling, you know? I'd like to get Dale Quigley on this podcast. You guys know Dale. He's a family friend longtime cop he's traveling all over the country now because like local governments are hiring him in and saying what is your experience in colorado after the legalization and he's like oh i'll tell you about it and it's like rise in crime rise in homelessness everything hospitalizations it's it's destroying it's destroying our state i hate to say that um we think that it's just you know oh but that's not the narrative that's not the narrative they're going to start paying teachers salaries out of the marijuana funds and then try to de try to criminalize marijuana again once the teachers get all that money but like, Dale Dale Quigley's whole argument was we think legalizing this has been sold to us to say that when you legalize right. it removes the black market he's like oh no no it actually it's the black market has has skyrocketed since the legalization because yeah. the demand's higher right. and you can always get it for cheaper on the black market yep. right yeah, and so I had, to, I had to say to somebody the other day, they were like, "Well, it's legal in Colorado. Why why can't you do it?" And I was like, "If they if they made prostitution legal tomorrow in Colorado, could I do it?" And they're like, "Well, that's different." I'm like, "No, that's the exact same argument that you right. just made." So, okay, final thoughts on you're on the bus the to Monte Cassino. You have ten eager college students. Have you convinced them? Probably not. I, I just I've I've never tried marijuana and I don't want to only so that I cannot answer this question. I I, I want when people say, you know, can you can you have moderate in uh, marijuana in moderation? I want to say I don't know. I've heard both sides because I think that's an important like aspect to have. It's similar to like celibates doing marriage prep. It's kind of nice to say I'm not using my own personal experience, but rather this wide range of experiences from others. Um, but I do know, like with with alcohol, you know, if if you're sitting down with your best friends in the world, and if you grew up with no brokenness, no damage, and you're just the most confident person in the world, you probably don't honestly. Alcohol wouldn't do anything. I, th- I think sometimes alcohol, when it comes to community, it, it somehow frees us, makes us un- confident enough 
that that we kind of speak without the the filter that is like a a lack of self esteem. So anyway, but I, I, marijuana just seems to me is, is merely an escape from what I've heard. It's only an escape. It, I mean, I, I know people say like it makes you write good music and things like that, but that's still probably all the, from the point of view an escape. Yeah, I mean, I think that the fact that people are even having to try to make the argument means that they already know that what they're doing is wrong. Nobody's making the argument. Everybody's just doing it. Oh, That's yeah, the but, problem. They, but they realize that it's wrong. They're trying to justify it, but they, they haven't yet got to a point where they can't. They, they can go and have a drink and not feel bad about it. But I honestly think the, the normal person on the street thinks marijuana is the same as alcohol. Tobacco is evil. That's the great Satan. But these are the same. I mean, I think most people yeah. you know, think that. So anyways, well, we got our work ahead of us. We haven't, we haven't convinced them. Next question. Another huge question. Goebbels going to roll his eyes at this. But Number this is two. a big one. Friendship between men and women. Creamy beige, as you would say. Mm, oh, it is. So, what about it? Is it possible? Here's what I would say. Um, we had some What's interesting conversations. Is it possible? Yeah. Is it appropriate? Okay. Especially for single men and women or celibate men and women? Yeah, I'm in the minority on this one. Go for it. No, you guys, you guys give your little... Give you a little, no, these are my daughters. They're my daughters. I would never do anything like that. I would never notice anything about them. Can you say something intelligent and helpful and not condescending? I, I asked John once. I was like, name one ugly friend that you have other than me. And he went silent. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <no> still thinking. <laughs> So anybody out there... This is not about me. This is about the college students on the road to Monte Cassino, all right? So I think think it is... This is an innovation in cultural expression within the last, I I think, 75 years. 75 years ago... Because, I mean, 50 years ago was what? 1960? That's really when it started. Age of Aquarius. Age of what? Aquarius? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, people are just like, no, it's... We're able to have these kind of, you know, monogamous or uh, what is it called? Platonic friendships with persons. And we've just set all that aside. We're just interested in, you know, communing. And it's like, <laughs> no, you don't. Girls have these guy friends, and either the guys are completely emasculated or the girls would actually want a boyfriend, but they're too, I don't know, enmeshed. It's strange. People don't dance anymore. They just sit around and like talk about each other's feelings. I don't actually think that it's that it's extraordinarily profitable. Okay. The something in me refuses to say that it's not possible. Something in me, to, and I, I really do think that that um, you know, men and women can be just friends, but they need to have their guard up all the time. Yeah. And that can be exhausting. So in other words, it's entirely possible, yes. but it's not as restful as it is between the same sex. Spiritual friendship is possible between men and women. It is true. Like, you look at some of the great saint friendships, Francis and Claire, um, Francis Sales and St. Jane Francis de Chantal, um, uh, what's his name, Mary of Egypt and St. Zoss. Okay, it's possible, but like Tim and you know Billy Joe or whatever that just kind of hang out and talk about their life and whatever. Like I don't necessarily think that that they are leading one another to deeper virtue, and that's where I'm like, men lead men to virtue, women lead women to virtue. If they get married, women will lead men to virtue, and men will lead women to virtue. But I don't actually think that. Um, having these harems, for lack of a better word, or these kind of bro camps. I was in one for years. I was enslaved to a woman that was not my that was not my girlfriend. But like, I just sat around and listened to her. And at some point, I sobered up and got out. It's important. All right, pass your, your soap- mind, Neo. For your mind, <laughs> pass your soapbox over to Olaf. Let him actually finish his thought. Um, so I, I, I do think that there is a. In other words, it can be exhausting real quick if you're not careful. My spiritual director said, 
you know, we got in this big conversation about this and, and just in general, um, and especially being a pastor of a parish and having women in the parish. Um, there was a conversation that somebody brought up with me and they said, um, it's actually, they thought it was actually easier to be celibate than it was to live it, be in a chaste marriage. Because I said, when you're living celibate, it's just no, no, no. It's, it's black and white. You just don't go there. Within a chaste marriage, there's this always this question about, is this chaste, is this not? Because you have a sexual relationship, but of course there can be unchastity even in a sexual relationship in marriage. So I think this person was struggling with this, and so they, they were kind of envious of my life, where it's just like, nope, you're just, you're black and white. And I thought, well, it's actually not that way because when you're when you're a pastor of a parish, there is a certain way that you love your people that can be misunderstood. You have women in the parish that, that want something more than is appropriate and you need to balance that. You need to find that balance. So it is more complicated than you think. But I, I think a man and a woman, if they're going to be friends, and I do think they can build each other in virtue, but it it's not as easy and it can't be as restful. You need to have your guard up and you need to have boundaries that are that are pretty strong. And then just to, in other words, make sure you're not drinking too much, making sure you're not doing anything that's going to, you know, allow you to have behaviors that are not beyond what you desire as a virtuous human being. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me, yeah. Well, I'll throw a final thought in here before Goble grabs the mic and starts shaking it. Final thoughts. No, I uh, I would agree with both of you in different ways. One of the questions I have is, and we don't have time for this today, but how are we defining friendship? I think you have a very intentional but kind of tight understanding of what friendship is. It's not flaccid, as you your favorite word. True. Uh, mine is more flaccid, I guess. It's just a looser understanding. Just get to your point. Okay. <laughs> But mine is too. So, that maybe that's a sanguine so I thing. Think, I think Olaf and I are like... What are we talking about again? Olaf, shh, watch your mouth. Olaf and I, uh, <laughs> we talk to somebody for five minutes and we consider them friends. Yeah, you, exactly. it's like, I've been friends with you for a decade and I'm still... You still don't return my phone I calls. called you my friend. <laughs> I have called you friends. Yeah. So I think, I think that's part of it, right? What is friendship? It's about the sharing of goods. Yep. So you're working at a parish with somebody in marriage prep... Larkin was on a marriage prep retreat this weekend with women. They're working together. The sharing of goods, that's a, that's a kind of friendship, right? But the question about the exclusivity of friendship, that's, that's where we get into the, into the nitty-gritty. I think that's what you're reacting to. So when C.S. Lewis says that you know, uh, all relationships of men and women lead towards eros, he's on to something. What does he mean by that? Well, I think that Men and women are made for marriage. The natural desire of their heart is marriage. And what is marriage? It's the absolute exclusive relationship, the totally comprehensive relationship. So you're kind of, it's almost like if you think of relationships not in kind of a static, men and women relationships, they're not static. Like, think about ours. It's just like, it's going to be like this in 50 years. It's not moving anywhere where it's not, I mean, hopefully it's, you know, there, but it's but with women and men, it's it's moving towards something because we're made for that complementarity. So there has to be in a real honest and a sobriety, honesty and a sobriety around like once you get on to this conveyor belt, you start moving towards exclusivity, and that's what needs to be checked. But I'm with you. I refuse to say it's just not possible. Yeah. And uh, I actually think the life of a celibate priest gets really weird without friendship with women. True. I'll hold to that. A single guy who's 21, a little different, right? Um, yeah, but I would also say that, that a celibate who's only friends with women is just as problematic. Or closest friends are women. Look, I would actually, I would actually uh, debate the point where you said that men and women are made for exclusivity because I think men and women are made for friendship, and certain friendships tend towards exclusivity, whereas the celibate cannot have exclusive friendships. Exactly. No, that's true. Well then men then celibate men and women they're moving towards are not, are not are not normal. They what we what we sacrifice is the one exclusive, true. completely complementary relationship. Yes. And you can't go looking for that or substituting it with people. Right. And what I'm saying that is that is a death that we die True. Willingly. What I'm saying is that is that men and women who are called to marriage are called to fr- a friendship with a woman. Right. But to actually get to a point where you 
are spending more time with the opposite sex, multiple members of the opposite sex, sex, as opposed to your own, I think is anthropologically, uh, like, we haven't done that in centuries. Right. Ever. And And that's not their question. And that's not really, that wasn't the question on the bus, because that makes sense to everybody. That's a no brainer. Right. If a husband is hanging out with all these other women, no, not no, no, his no. wife. I'm saying like like hunters hunters were hanging out with men, and then the women were hanging out with women, and then in other you know centuries like the men were doing one thing and the women were doing another, and now we're like sitting around like watching, I don't know, three guys, a girl, and a I pizza think place or something, and it's like I think the name has changed since that was like in the '90s. Whatever, man. Well, we're not in the prehistoric age anymore. We're watching This, this is, is Us, us together, again. and I'm like, what the hell happened to hunting, hunting and gathering and dudes being with other dudes? Do you know what happened to hunting and gathering? The ice, the ice caps melted. No, what happened was... And we went into an agrarian society like 12,000 years ago. Yeah, but... So you can't just jump were from... Still, we farmers were all... were still with other farmers. Right. Like, but I just... I think men are not comfortable around other men. Women are not comfortable but you can't, other you've women. You've got this paleolithic vision of what man... We should be running and hunting buffalo right now as men, and that's the way we're supposed to be. And it's like, no, that's... that We were developing, right? My vision is Band of Brothers. Those guys, those guys in Band of Brothers fought, bled, showered together, and there wasn't any kind of like, oh my gosh, these guys are going to come on to me or whatever. And they, they actually formed greater and deeper friendships then we have the possibility, even with women, even with women today. I just don't... I, don't well, I agree, but again... these paleolithic... Paleolithic vision of Whatever. how men and women ought to relate. I would say that the Companions has been an experiment in trying to do the Band of Brothers thing. Right. Um, mm-hmm. yep. and, and what that presupposes is, is wartime. And in wartime, you don't just live live the sweet life, like you, you make sacrifices. And that's why Band of Brothers speaks to us when we were in seminary and as priests, because it's like, we're sacrificing, and we know what we're sacrificing for. So we can't go back and look for that. But if you just shut your door to all the women in your parish and shut your heart to them, you're, something in you is going to die. So there has to be some kind of, there, ha, there has to be something here. You, you can say, I'm not friends with anybody. My only friends are Olaf and John, or whatever it is. And Nick Blaha, you can say that. We say we speak of friendship more broadly, but the point remains is that um, yeah, there needs to be there needs to be real caution here. But it's I think it's possible, like Olaf said. And I think this is also why we have in our fraternal group we have check-ins, and part of those check-ins are relationships with women. In other words, like when we have the band of brothers, I, I have found myself more free to have relationships with women since. I joined the Companions because I had the foundation and friendship with the Companions that is the most restful relationships I have where I can say I don't need to be on my guard all the time in my relationship with my brothers, my friendship with my brothers. But So when it comes to women, I do need to be on my guard and I need to be completely open and honest. Am I attracted to her? Mm-hmm. And I need to also discern is she attracted to me because I think that's what many celibate men get into is, or even single men is they get into this thing, well, I'm not attracted to her and I enjoy the relationship where they're not taking her feelings into consideration at all. So if there is an honesty on both sides and the boundaries put up based upon that honesty about am I attracted to this person? What does that mean? How much can I there be physical touch? How much can there be sharing of intimacies? All these things. I mean, again, as, as I really do think women, when men are, are vulnerable and, and weak in front of them, there's something in that kicks in that just wants to care and love and everything else, and, and men need to be careful of that because that, that is a way of, of inviting the women. The woman naturally sees that as an invitation into something more exclusive and something more intimate, and that's where it can be dangerous. So in other words, it can happen, but it can get exhausting real quick if we're trying to be chaste and virtuous in it, but it can happen. Is, is it worth that the extra effort? Is it worth the extra attention to boundaries? If we say yes, then why not? But some, I, mean, I can imagine some guys saying it's just not worth it. You know, I, I can't because it's exhausting to have my, my guard up all the time. But for me, it's worth it, certainly with certain women. Yeah. Good. That's a good point. That was a good point, Michael. Yeah, we agree. That was a good point. So, next topic. Then be honest. 
Then be honest <laughs> about the fact that there's attraction. That's the biggest thing. But but don't be honest with them all the time. Because sometimes if, 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 if a man or woman says to the other one, I'm attracted to you, that can stir all kinds of things in them. So I think there, that's one of the boundaries is be honest with ourselves, with our spiritual director, with our brothers and our fraternal group. Be honest with your, your community, but don't always share that because that can actually bring on feelings of attraction. But it's not right? just physical attraction. It's like, what am I looking for in this relationship? Because if I'm looking for something other than friendship where they're feeding something in me, and I'm feeding something in them, but I'm not actually interested in them anymore. I'm just interested in the feeling that I get or the my ability to 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 give them something that they need or whatever. That's not that's a that's a friendship of utility, not of virtue. So, yeah. So, I think that the uh, I think there's a lot of different ways this can play out in the life of a priest. And I know you feel very passionately about how you are doing it and staring at me and saying, telling me what you think about my life. But I I actually think there are different ways there. We have agreed upon principles and there are different ways to apply these to different circumstances, different lives. The, the, the thing that's really troubling for me is when a guy doesn't have the conversation happening with the brothers Exactly to say, how am I and how are you thinking about these things and these concrete things? And if you don't have a way of reviewing, then you get in trouble because it's impossible not to not to relate with women. Right. And, you and need a spiritual we, director. And most people, and I think most guys, despair that it, you can relate well, and you can. And the question of friendship ties into that. But this is this is one of the ongoing conversations we're always having. So you you, you need open and honest friendships, and you need a spiritual director that can speak very honestly, and you can be completely honest with. I think if you're hiding anything from your friends and your spiritual director, that's when there's an obvious problem. Right. You know. And even if, if somebody came to me, a young man came to me or a priest came to me and said, you know, I am attracted to this person, but I, I feel that it is a good relationship that's leading us both closer to Christ, there'd be a lot of questions and it would take a lot of work on his part and a lot of work on her part. Doesn't mean it can't happen, but I, I would say you need to be honest with yourself and make sure that you're sharing everything with others who give this subjective point of view into the way that you're acting and the way that you're thinking. The last thing I'll say on this is... Um no, let's not. It's already 40 it's minutes. Not. It's 45 minutes. Let's go. It's we'll go ahead and go to number three. Last Good question. question. This is a very simple one compared Good. to the last two. Thanks be to God. Yeah, can you just, seriously, just watch the Cubs game? It's 3-0, dude. It's a tight game. <laughs> um, I'm into these people questions. People want to know, how do people respond when you introduce yourself as father? And do you ever not introduce yourself as father? You're on the bus to the El Camino. Yeah. So I, this, I've actually, what, what did Obama say? My, my thoughts on this have evolved. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I, when, when I was young, I used to be very, very strong on calling priest father. And the only reason I did that was because it seemed that the left and the, the unorthodox were against that. And so I, I was going to die on that hill. It's like, it's a title given to priests. And this is before I was a priest. Um, my life as a priest, I've realized that my life is completely unfulfilling if it is a title that I got because I went to enough school and put enough time in. Like, like, like the word, I think the word doc, the title doctor and the title father are very different from each other. Doctor is, a, is something that proves I am able to help you because I've studied enough and put the work in and I have the knowledge to help you. So I give you the dignity of that title because you, you've earned it through study and you, it, it defines how you can help me. I really do think that we are, we are lessening the, the role and the title father if we expect everybody to call us father, even someone who we are not Spirit, spiritual father too. So my answer to that is usually I, if it's someone who I think is not Catholic or, or you know, or a mat, I expect is not Catholic, I will introduce myself as Michael. Once they find out that I'm a priest, whether because I'm wearing clerics or I just have to say it, if they don't recognize the clerics, then I will say to them, you know, they said, you want me to call you father? And I say, well, that's up to you. But I honestly, it's a role for me. So I hope one day you do. So again, my parents call me father. My brothers and sisters call me father. I call every other priest father generally, unless they say don't, because they are a spiritual father to me. They are able to help me as a father would. Um, but I do think with my secular friends, that's a title I want to earn, not demand. I actually want one day them to see that God works through me as a father works 
you know, God works in me and gives me the the ability to to father spiritual children. And once they consider me their spiritual father, then call me father. Until then, don't treat the word. It'll lose its dignity if you're using it as something that I demand rather than actually as a role. It's it's amazing how confused and affronted people are by non Catholics by the introduction of the name Father, like Candy, the chaplain at Craig Hospital, was. I immediately become John. You get used to this in Colorado. Um, I was coming back to the United States, and the guy at the security counter or uh, customs said, hey, welcome back to the United States, Father. And I said, you're not from around here. Where are you from? Chicago, right? So in in cultures where you have kind of old-school Catholic culture, cities, East Coast, Midwest, everybody's fine calling a father. Even if they're not Catholic, they kind of like calling a father. But out here where it's more secularized, like at Craig Hospital, I am John. And I don't think I've ever been John for uh, so much of my life. Like I, I, I'm actually not used to it, and it's just kind of like kind of throwing me off. But they, I mean, it's just, I'm not going to call you father. That's ridiculous. And I like your approach because it flips it on its head. Instead of like something to be demanded, it's, it's kind of something that could be earned. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's tricky, you know. But so. I think that's the difference is, is when people... When people refuse to call us father, there's various reasons for that. You have evangelicals who believe that in, in Matthew, call no man father, that means that somehow Catholics are abusing it and are of the devil and, and et cetera. And I, I think that's generally when people, it's either people that are just very kind of liberal in their thought and they want egalitarianism among all people, and so they don't call anybody doctor, they don't call anybody father. This is kind of the Facebook thing, right? right. Facebook doesn't allow titles. Right. We're not going to give anybody any sort of you know, hierarchy that that can seem to be above anybody else. You have those people, then you have the evangelicals. And but I find ninety nine percent of my just basically secular friends call me father. Right. They all do. Yeah, I mean, I I introduce myself as Father Nathan, and then if they call me Nathan, I don't correct them. Right. Like I don't I don't see why there's a problem in me identifying myself as as a priest, like so that they're actually. Um, not confronted, but introduced to the reality of this is who I am ontologically. Like, I don't think it's, I don't think that it's a title to be earned. I think it's something that is already there. And like, even though I don't have, like, they may not be in my parish boundaries, I do have a spiritual responsibility to their soul because I'm encountering them. So I don't think that Apostle Paul like went out and said, hi, I'm Apostle Paul or whatever, but like I don't think he shied away from his his authority. If I met a rabbi or I meet a minister, I call him reverend or I call him rabbi. And if they say call me Tom, I don't say, well, I'd prefer to call you rabbi, Tom. Or if they call me Nathan, I don't correct him. But I don't think that there's there's something major in not doing it. I think we've I think we've we've tried to be cool and hip and just be like, you know what? Um, just call me Bill. Now you're talking about Olo. <laughs> well, you know, belt buckles and vested. He's got a different vision, he's got a different vision, but it's working for no, him. No, I think we're all on the same page here, which is it doesn't, it's not really worth fighting people on, but why, but we introduce ourselves except in situations where, um, it's good to note that the, the modern conception of calling a priest father dates to the 1850s in Ireland. Hmm. So there is a tradition, Pache East, of the Abba, right? Of the spiritual father. That goes back, and the biblical foundations of this are very clear. Jesus that's Christ. That's wider than priests. That's right. monks, deacons, everybody right. is called father. And in the Jesus yeah. Christ is the spiritual father of mankind. That's all over the patristic. He's the new Adam. He's the spiritual father. So we're, there, there's something really profound about identifying the life of the priest and his configuration to Christ, right. the fatherhood of Christ, how he images the father uh, in, in the economy of salvation. That's a beautiful thing. But, yeah, what are you going to do? What are you going to die on? Basically, we're trying to build avenues of dialogue and communion, and it's amazing how quickly people flip when that happens. You know, and so it's just an interesting thing. I would say just a practical thing. One of the things that I love is when people introduce me as father because it's a lot easier to enter into the conversation and to build the dialogue than if I introduce myself as father. So introduce your priest as Father John. That's, it's, a, it's a subtle thing, but it's, a lot of times it can actually, 
kind of we can move into a relationship a little quicker. So. I just had a, a beautiful experience of that uh, yesterday. I walked into the the bar at Jelly, and there was this guy already sitting there. I didn't realize he was like three or four mimosas in, and I just sat down right next to him, and I brought a book to read. And anyway, he was he wanted to chat, which was great. It ended up being a great conversation. But he he immediately when he when he saw me and realized I was a priest, just thought that I I must be absolutely shunned by all society because I'm a priest. So he kept on saying like. I know most people don't, but I respect you. I respect you. <laughs> and and it was so funny because the people I know that are there were calling me Father Michael. And right. like I, it, it caught him as odd. And then these these servers that he respects immensely were just loving all over me. And it, it was it was beautiful. But I could see this look of just like confusion on his face of like, how is this working? But they call me Father Michael. And it, it was it was a great moment because I really do think if we if we not, I mean, none of us are saying to demand it, but if we see it as something that identifies our person, we're, we're missing an evangelical opportunity of actually showing what it means to be a priest in the world. Right. People don't believe in prayer. What what's the point of prayer? People don't understand prayer. They don't understand God. They don't understand the church. None of these things make any sense because they don't have an impact on their life. And so if we call ourselves Father, and, and all it is is just part of our name, I don't think it's, it's, it's refusing to share what impact the gift God has given us can have on their life. And if it's something they say, you know, some people call you father, some people don't. Like, what is that? Well, because I am a spiritual father to some people. I, I, what, what does a father give to his children? I can give that spiritually by the grace of God, by the sacrament of my ordination, by the sacraments I can offer. I, I can be a spiritual father to you. And if you, if you want that, then that's a moment of, to say the church offers that through her priests. Nice. Okay, final thought, and then we're going. Ready? Aristotle says that fatherhood is a form of friendship. Right? Fatherhood is a form of friendship. Father Nathan has instructed us tonight that friendship is not possible between priests and women. Therefore, women should no longer call you father. Oh, snap. That is tight logic, baby. That's like a Yeti cooler. We're going to shout-outs. I love it. What? How is that? All right, first shout out goes logical? to Claire Beveridge. I want to I want to shout out Claire. Claire Beveridge worked at CH2M Hill in California, and she wrote the most beautiful email uh, to my father, talking about how he was evangelizing and witnessing the faith in like really subtle ways as this kind of like higher up VP would come. Absolutely beautiful. And my dad said, you better give Claire a shout out. So Claire, thank you. And I actually wrote Claire and I said, your email was so awesome. We need to become friends. Friends. But of a... So there we go. That's Send the first one. In. Olaf Goebel, you got any shout outs? Uh, I want to shout out to uh, the Nunziatos, brand new parishioners of mine. And uh, I know that uh, Chelsea listens to the podcast. Josh might, I'm not sure. But, uh, and their little little son, Damien. Anyway, she's, uh, well, I, don't, I won't share too much. But anyway, they're great. They're great people. I had uh, scotch with them and uh, snackies the other night and uh, went to their home and blessed it. Actually, I didn't bless it because their little one was asleep. Anyway, I'll bless it soon. But anyway, especially Chelsea Nunziato, God bless you and uh, shout out to you. Oh. Eric Woods, captain of the U.S. Army, friend of John Ayer, sent nice. us a bottle of Texas bourbon. To where? Well, he supposedly sent it here. Did you not get it? Uh, Andrea gets all of the... Andrea gets all of them. Who's Andrea? Yeah, my sister. <laughs> my sister. <laughs> all right, that's it for me. No, I got one more. All right. Uh, Dears, Father, Goble, O'Loughlin, Rap, and somebody else. Happy Easter. He is risen. My name is Chris Pouliam. I'm a young adult from Boston. I wanted to thank you all for your immense impact on myself. And so many others like me who listen to your insightful, down-to-earth, and Christ-filled podcast. I discovered the podcast a year ago, and I'm quickly listening to as many episodes as I can, hearing the joy you share in your priestly fraternity with one another is something greatly affirming and uplifting, especially for myself um, and for many others. You, Father Nathan, had mentioned a few episodes ago that you had come to the East Coast and enjoyed some whale's tail pale ale. Oh, yeah. I wanted to send you, Father, some... For you to enjoy this Easter season, I hope the great beer helps fuel some awesome banter, Lord's Day celebration, pinnacle game, or other worthy cause for merriment. Uh, in fact, we uh, drank it during a euchre game, yep. which was uh, filled with banter. Uh, Pistol a, whipping. A spicy kind. <laughs> um, and uh, I actually said whale tail pale ale because I knew that somebody on the East Coast would be able to find it and send it to me. I had faith 
in one of these podcast listeners. So God bless you, Chris. And you know um, what? It lived up to its reputation. Yeah, it's good. It's one of the best pale ales. So we still have more. Don't worry. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. If you are looking for any shout outs, I would greatly appreciate a shout out for all the great folks at the Catholic Center at Northeastern University, where I was a student. They are doing some great, amazing things, bringing Christ to the secular college campus with help from the Brotherhood of Hope and missionaries from St. Paul's Outreach. Happy Easter. Chris Puglia. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to this wildly eclectic podcast. We'll be back next week. And uh, 